Hello, and thanks for tuning in to this podcast recorded at Hope Lutheran Church in Toledo, Ohio. The following scripture reading and sermon were recorded during regular worship on Sunday morning. We can be found on the web at hopetoledo.net. Check us out, or better yet, check us out in person at our regular worship services. Blessings to you this day. After this, Jesus went down to Capernaum with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they remained there a few days. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling cattle and sheep and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, Take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, What sign can you show of us for doing this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, the temple has been under construction for 46 years, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. The Gospel of our Lord. You may be seated. I invite any of our young people to come up and join me. Yeah, they, they do tend to run away. At the first service, um, he was not even back to his seat, and the ball was already like running down the center aisle. So I do have to say, um, one thing that happened at the 9 o'clock service is I was reading the gospel reading, which is not important to my sermon, but just was a moment I had to share with the service as well. And we were reading, and it says... Jesus says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will build it back up. And they're like, it's been under construction for 46 years. And Roger Smith, who was sitting right here, just started to laugh quietly, but because he was thinking of the hope for Salem House and how it's been under construction for years and years, many more years than he would like it to be. But um, we have some permits, and we have the ability to move forward faster now. So we're very excited about that. We continue our Lenten series this day again and again. We've heard that refrain throughout Lent again and again. We are reminded that God loves us again and again. We are called beloved again and again. We cry out in frustration, in exhaustion. We cry out to God in lament. And again and again, today our theme is we are shown the way. The way is something that is not talked about as much in the Gospel of Mark, but we have switched our readings and our reading this week and the next few weeks through the Gospel of John, and that is a phrase that is very common. It also was very common in the early church to be a follower of the way. But I must confess, whenever I hear this phrase or hear it talked about, um, my mind for the last few years at least has gone to a more pop culture reference. 
If you're not familiar, this is from the Star Wars series, The Mandalorian. And um, Mandalorians follow a creed and a belief structure, and the way that they indicate that is to say, this is the way. It is both an affirmation of what they believe and an answer to anyone who says, why do you do this? Their response is, this is the way, which is both powerful but also confusing because it doesn't actually explain anything. But this is the way. It explains their way of life, their beliefs, and how they live. Now, I am not, the ways are different here, but that phrase, this is the way, would have actually been relatively familiar to early Christians. They did not classify or call themselves Christians as we would now, but would introduce and ask each other, are you a follower of the way? Are you a follower of the way? Do you follow the way? And that way comes from the Gospel of John. It's one of the great I am statements that come throughout the Gospel. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says to this to his followers, to those who are there gathered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So to be a follower of Jesus is to be a follower of the way. But what exactly does that mean? Well, both then and now, those both within and outside of Christianity have probably a preconceived notion of what it means to be a Christian or what it means to be a follower of the way. There's a certain way we should act or talk or think, a certain thing that we should believe or do. And um, those suppositions or those different ideas of what this looks like may or may not agree with each other, who are also followers of the way, who are also followers of Christ. But often, one thing they have in common is that we shouldn't really be angry. And I think our gospel reading challenges that a lot, in fact. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and in the temple he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and money changers at their tables. I want to be clear that it is not the practice of being a marketplace or having these animals there, or even the changing of money, that would have, one, it would not have been surprising that had been a practice for a very long time. And two, it is not just that practice that Jesus was challenging. That was the temple structure. You would come up to the temple. You would have a pilgrimage there. You would offer a sacrifice for atonement, for forgiveness, for worship. And because you were often traveling from a distance, people would not bring their sacrificial animals with them. They would instead buy them there in the temple. It made it quite convenient and they could not, however, purchase those animals with normal Roman coins because Roman coins had the image of the emperor on them. And you should not use a coin or anything with a graven image. So first they would have to change their money, and then they would use the temple currency to purchase the animal. 
that practice in and of itself was not a bad one. What Jesus was challenging in this is the way it was used to exploit, the way that it was used to take even more from those who had the least to give. Because think about this. If you went to the temple, you took a pilgrimage to the temple, and it was an expectation that you offer a sacrifice, and the only place that you could change your money was there, and the only place you could buy your animal was there, well, then the people in charge of that system could charge you just about anything they wanted. They could take advantage of that monopoly and of that need and of that desire to be faithful and use it for their own advantage and their own wealth and their own gain. And that is what led to turning over the tables and throwing down the coins. It's also a reminder, this reading in general, is a reminder that when someone says you should be more like Jesus, occasionally it's okay to flip over a table and chase someone around with a whip. Just occasionally. It's okay to get that angry sometimes. Jesus was angry at the abuse the exploitation, what he saw in front of him of people who simply wanted to worship and wanted to be faithful and were being taken advantage of by the very structure, the very place that was supposed to care for them, that was supposed to provide for them, that was supposed to help them. And so he went to do something about it. And the leaders were not thrilled. And they asked him what authority this, they, he gave, what was a sign. And instead, he said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And they didn't understand then. But later they realized from the very beginning, Jesus was about something different. He was not about keeping the status quo. He was not about just continuing old patterns, but instead overturning structures and exploitation so that all may thrive, so that all may follow their faith and follow the way, so that all may be beloved. As I looked at this reading, as I do whenever this comes up in the lectionary cycle, I always am uncomfortable. This is not a comfortable reading for me to preach on because it is a challenge to deal with this emotion and figure out what it would look like today and what Jesus might say. And as I was reading a few commentaries on this passage, one of the things that kept coming up was a recommendation from other pastors and scholars to read the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from a Birmingham jail. And probably the most quoted phrase from that letter is this, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We may or may not know is that letter that Dr. King wrote 
um, while he was in prison in Birmingham, was in response to a letter he was sent by a group of white clergy in which they said, you're being a little too impatient. We know that eventually you will have the same civil rights afforded to you. Just be patient and let it work itself out. Don't be too hasty. Don't push too hard. Just wait and it will come. It's a paraphrase and it's not exact, but it's not all that far from what they were saying either. And so he wrote what he even described as the longest letter he had ever written. In response to that, just wait. That waiting does not help justice come. The status quo does not hurry justice along or guarantee that it will ever come. In part of the letter from the clergy to Dr. King, he was, they accused him of being an extremist for the cause of justice. And near the end of the letter, he responds in this. I gradually gained a bit of satisfaction from being considered an extremist. Was not Jesus an extremist in love? Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, pray for them that despitefully use you. Was not Amos an extremist for justice? Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. Was not Paul an extremist for the gospel of Jesus Christ? I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Was not Martin Luther an extremist? Here I stand, I can do no other, so help me God. Sometimes our baptisms call us to be extremists. Sometimes our baptisms call us to be angry and to flip over tables, to challenge the status quo, to work for the cause of justice. The question is, where do we see injustice around us? And how can we respond so that all can find, all can find life that can flourish. All can know that they are loved, that they are worthy, that they matter. The very end of the letter from the Birmingham jail is this quote. I hope that the church as a whole will meet the challenge of this decisive hour. What are the challenges that we as a church as Christianity, as a culture, are facing today? And how are we meeting them? How should we be meeting them? What are the causes, what are the challenges that we are willing to stand up for, to fight for, to speak out for, knowing that we are empowered to do so? knowing that part of our baptismal calling is to work for justice and peace in all the earth. It's part of the way. And we are shown the way with love and with grace and with forgiveness and sometimes with a challenge to know when to speak out, to know when to step up, to know when to move forward 
and not just wait for something to happen. So how will we, as the church, follow the way? I invite you to stand as you are able and to pray with me. God, we give you thanks for the love and the grace that you shower us with in baptism, for walking alongside us. Give us wisdom and courage and strength to stand up, to work for justice, to work for peace, to work for equity, to care for others, and to overthrow systems of oppression and exploitation. Reminding ourselves and others that we are loved. In your name we pray. Amen. We continue with our hymn.